Good morning, good morning. It is good to have you here. My name is Efren Peña. I'm the campus pastor here at Southfield Santa Clarita. Some of you are fresh off of petting an animal or eating a burger, um, uh, but uh, I'm glad that you are here this morning. Last week, we kicked off Family Month 2021. It's a, an entire month that we take out every year, devoted and focused on having better relationships with the people that we love and care about the most. Listen, we all want happy, healthy relationships, especially with those that we are closest to. But that's, that's easier said than done. Making real relationships work is actually real work. You just can't not wink it or, 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 or hope it be. You have to put in the work. And at times we may get a glimpse of what we need to do, but we're not exactly sure how to do it. So what if, what if God himself was willing to show us how, right? What if he was willing to give us the tools in order to, for us to have better relationships? Over these next few weeks, I want to give you some tools that will enable you to build healthier home lives, healthier lives at work with the people that you care about the most, because a better you equates to a better we, a better we at your home, in your home, a better we in your workplace, a better we with your family and your friends. And so today's message is titled, How to Stop Taking Everything Personally. How to top, stop taking everything personally because the truth is we are really good at taking things personally, right? When it comes to our relationships, we get standoffish, we get attitudes, we start stomping feet and, and talking under our breath and, and like we get really mad because we take things personally. Let me ask you this, have you ever had a time where a supervisor or a manager addressed the group in general about a new policy or a new procedure that was being implemented and you were absolutely convinced it was a scheme uh, to put you in your right place. Like they're putting this rule here because of me, because of, of the way I do things and because of the way I go about it or whatever. They're trying to put me in check. We've all had situations where we have assumed the worst and I couldn't have, and you couldn't have been more wrong. It wasn't so much what someone was doing that we had a problem with. It was why we were convinced that they were doing it. We say things like, man, they never give me a chance. That's why they put it, they're making it feel this way. Or, man, they're hiding something. I know they're up to something. Right? They say things like, oh, man, they don't care about me. They really don't. I must have done something wrong or uh, I can never catch a break, right? We start taking th things personally, internalizing it. Let me ask you this. Ever find yourself having conversations with yourself about what's, what's going on while it's still going on? Like you're in this, in this situation, you're in this conversation, and internally you are having your own conversation. Look at this person. They really think I'm listening to them while they're talking to me. But no, I really have this issue going. I can't believe the nerve of this person trying to address me right now. Don't they know it's almost lunchtime? Like you're having these internal conversations, right? Sometimes the internal conversation is so loud in your head that you actually lose touch with the conversation that's supposed to be happening right 
right in front of you. And you end up like, say that again? Because you had your own group session. <laughs> you had your own conversation going on. And the frustrating part is that we're not trying to have these conversations in our head. They just happen. Right? They're just happening. To a certain extent, it feels like we're going down this dark road of, of anxious assumptions without even tending, intending to. And it can't not affect you because it, it does affect us. Afterwards, we often realize, man, I wasted three days being nervous for no reason. All because I had a conversation with me, myself, and I. Right? I've been treating that person horribly, and it turns out it was all innocent. I lashed out unnecessarily. And also, I was so in my head about this situation that I got sick to my stomach. I yelled at my kids. I even broke my diet yet again. That's a whole separate issue. So why do we do this, church? Why do we do this? Right? Why does this happen? Why do we allow it to manifest and, 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 and bring about this anxiety? We do this because we haven't always been wrong. We've been hurt before. Someone has betrayed us before. Part of the reason we're now vigilant is because we weren't in the past and we wound up getting hurt by someone. And we vowed, oh man, we vowed that that would never, ever happen to us again. But the downside is that we're sort of now suspicious. We're suspicious about everything and everyone, even those closest to us. Sometimes being suspicious and, and kind of like, you know, kind of walking slowly in these things, it kind of distracts us or pulls us away from actually connecting in a more intimate way with the people that we love and we care about. Some of us think that everything is about us. Oh, they're definitely talking about me over there. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that promotion is for me. Like, we think that everything has to deal with us, and some of us think that nothing is about us. They can't be talking about me. Mm -mm. I'm too good. I'm too nice. Right? But most of us fall somewhere in between. You see, what we tell ourselves what's happening about what's happening usually affects us more than what is actually happening. Right? We create the hype inside of us. Because we have these internal conversations in our head and we create more than what it actually is. We start telling ourselves. You ever look in the mirror and be like, mm, I feel guapo. Right? Or I feel beautiful. All of a sudden your stance changes. It's almost like you got to flick the hair back. Right? That conversation, you don't have it out loud. You say that internally. Right? Or oh, man, I don't, I don't look good in these clothes. Or I don't like this, right? You have these conversations, and so we create most of the hype. So what do we do when we have this sudden realization that what we're actually telling ourselves about a certain relationship is what's wrecking, what's damaging that relationship? How do we stop assuming that everything is our fault or that nothing is our fault? Is it even possible to learn how to see ourselves and the situations we're living inside of accurately? 
Or are some of us just doomed to live in constant anxiety? Listen, some of you may be thinking, man, Pastor, I don't even know what that would look like to clash with or to, to have conflict with another person and it not severely rattle or unravel me. That's why I'm not confrontational, Pastor E. That's why I don't like bringing things to the surface because I don't want to, I don't want to make a fuss about it. I don't want to get in an argument. I don't want to add fire to this, to this discussion. I, I, I'd rather just, I'd rather just leave it alone. I'd rather not, not get into it. But there's one really great example that we can observe from the life of Jesus and the way that he related to one of his closest friends. I want to look this morning at three scenes, three separate scenes from their relationship and highlight the connections between them, right? Between these points, between these things that point to a great, healthy relationship. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man is? Or who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed. Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you, you do not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Peter has this relationship with Jesus. Jesus has this relationship with Peter. And Jesus is traveling, right? Jesus is traveling, teaching, uh, going around teaching. And Peter has left everything that he knows, everything that's been common to him, right? He's left it to now follow Jesus. And he's seen Jesus teach and interact with people and do miracles. They've been together so, uh, long enough to form a pretty solid bond. They've eaten together, they've laughed together, they've cried together, right? They've got this incredible relationship. But Jesus is a very charismatic and, and polarizing figure that he's, and he's asking people around that are close to him. He's asking people that are close to him. He's asking them, man, what are people saying about me? And more importantly, what do you guys, what do you guys See, how do you guys see me? What do you guys think of me? Peter, Peter identifies him as, as God. And Jesus not only affirms what he's saying, but he also affirms him. He affirms Peter. Think about how great that would feel. That, Pete, that God, that Jesus himself is being encouraged, he's being, being applauded, he's being uh, 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 recognized here in this moment. Right? We all want affirmation, especially from those that are close to us, and, I, and definitely from those that we respect. And Jesus is laying it on thick right here. The validation would have meant a lot coming from anyone, but especially from him. Right? 
We like when other people say good things about us, when they affirm us. But it's, it means even more so when it's from someone that you care about, someone that you love, right? Like some people say, man, that, man, you, you know, like that's, that was so cool. Oh, that's, that's great. But when someone you care about says, man, that was so cool, you're like, oh, thank you so much. That was so, uh, thank, you, thank you for thinking about that. Thank you for noticing. Because it means so much more. Isn't it true that certain words from certain people are just more impactful because of who they are and who they are to us? Right? Certain words, like, like I could say a joke out there and someone be like, that was corny. I'm like, oh, man, okay. But if I said a joke in here and you said that was corny, Pastor, I'm like, oh, man, that just, that was not cool. That, that one hurt. Why? Because I value our relationship and what you say matters. Someone out there, who cares? But the fact that you didn't like something I said or it bothered you a certain way or it wasn't received right, it, it's like, like, it matters to me. And this is true in positive moments, and it's also true in negative ones. You can think of certain people whose words carry more weight for you, right? In your life, there are people that whose word, the, the words of your spouse, the words of your parents, the words of your family members, probably carry more weight than the people at the grocery store. And maybe the words of your boss carry more weight than the new hire that just came in. In fact, you can probably remember certain things that uh, they said to you that either inspired you or completely crushed you. And it was a little bit about what they said, right? A little bit about of what they said, but it was mostly about who they are and who they are to you that made you, that made those statements stand out and stick with you. So here, Jesus Jesus is speaking life to Peter. And I could, can you the grin on Peter's face, the excitement, right? He is speaking life into Peter. But real relationships aren't all one thing. There's more to it, right? There's more to relationships than it, than it, than it just being all one thing. So let's look at another scene that took place between Peter and Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter, Peter he took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, we've heard that if you've been raised in church or if you've read the Bible before and this is this is a famous scripture that we even say it jokingly get away from me Satan now on the surface that sounds and could be perceived as 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 very offensive to hear right imagine you talking to your spouse 
and you're sharing your ideas, you're saying something to your spouse, and your spouse doesn't like it one single bit, and she says, get thee behind me, Satan. What are you going to think? Like, what, what do you mean? Get big? What, what, how are you going to call me Satan? Right? How dare you? Right? We would jump to conclusions like, you know what? I quit. I'm done. It's over. I, I'm not going to stand here and allow you to insult me. Right? I'm not going to allow you to speak to me that way. I was only trying to point it out the obvious. I was only trying to help. Unfortunately, this is the way a lot of us deal with a lot of things in our society. If someone pushes back against us or questions us or contradicts us, we're done with them. We're done. We're done. How dare they? We take it personally. We internalize what they said and we take it personally and we don't want anything to do with it. Now, we don't have a lot of information on how all of this transpired, but it doesn't seem like Peter gets rattled. Right? It doesn't seem like Peter gets rattled by this confrontation because that's what actually happened here. Jesus brought about confrontation. Jesus just didn't say, you know, just didn't let Peter say what he had to say and, and walk away from it and like whatever. No, Jesus decided to confront this. Jesus decided to bring conflict in this situation. He definitely doesn't react in the way a lot of us would have been tempted to, right? He didn't take it personally. Peter didn't take it personally. But some of this is context, folks. Some of this is context. We may think of Satan as a red being with horns and a pitchfork, right? That's how some of us, not all of us, some of us have this impression of what the devil looks like. And we've gotten that impression because it was an impression of someone else's imaginary figure, right? But in this culture and in this time, it was less a title and more of a turn of phrase. It literally means, Satan literally means tempter. And Jesus is saying, man, you may not be trying to, but what you're doing is tempting me. So I need you to get away from me. I need you to, to back up right now because I can't be tempted. I don't need that in my life right now. And maybe you're thinking, so, so why is this Peter's fault? It really sounds like it's somebody else's fault. But here's the thing. Often what people say to us is more about them than us. Often what people say to us is more about them than us. How many times do we factor, <clears throat> factor that in when we are having discussions with people? How many times do we actually think or uh, process that when someone, else, when someone else is saying or doing something? Like when someone does something that frustrates you, that angers you, that upsets you and hurts your feelings, how often do you ask, man, I wonder what's going on with them. Like why would they do that? Why would they lash out like that? I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder what they're facing or carrying or, or wrestling with that I don't even know about, that is bringing about their response. 
And sometimes we may not find out until much later, or we may not even find out ever. And so in this conversation between Peter and Jesus, I think it's safe to ask the question, what, what could have Jesus been going through that he would actually bring about conflict and confrontation in this relationship? Maybe it's the fact that he was the only one that knows that he's going to take the sins of the world and, and die an excruciating death to save humanity. Because Peter didn't know that. Peter didn't know that till much later. And in this conversation with him and Jesus, Jesus brings about the confrontation. And there's more to it than, than meets the eyes. There's more to it than what's on the surface. Let me bring this in a little closer and a little more modern times, if you would. Maybe, maybe you assumed your dad just didn't like you because he didn't want to shoot hoops with you in the driveway every day when you were in seventh grade. But then when you were 35, you had a conversation with your dad and you ask him about it and you find out that it was one of the hardest years of his life. He got fired from his job. He felt like a failure and going through a very difficult, dark depression he could barely get out of bed. And he had four children, all who wanted his attention. And suddenly you realize, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought, this was, I thought this was about me. I thought you didn't like me. In fact, I thought you hated me. Truth is, I, I didn't know that's what you were going through. This is why, church, it's important, it's always important for us to assume that there's a lot more to the story than we can see. There's a lot more to the story than we can know or, or even understand. I remember as a, as a kid, actually I was a, more of a, a teenager, I would see people with their handicap sign and I wonder, are they really handicapped? Because they're walking fine for me. They just got out of their car and they're walking fine. Like, but I didn't know that there could be more to the story. I just saw and assumed what my eyes could see. Also notice that Jesus, Jesus confronts Peter's actions. Jesus confronts Peter's actions, but he never, he never questions his motives. He just confronts his actions. Peter has good intentions, but the way he's putting them into action isn't helpful. Have you ever done that? You have good intentions, but the way you're going about it, dude, you're about to get your butt kicked. Your mom's about to slap you. Somebody's about to do something in retaliation because although your intentions are good, how you're going about it, it's not. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't ignore that, right? Jesus doesn't ignore that. He says, I need you to stop. I need you to stop what you're doing here, right? This would have been a tense moment in their relationship. I need you to stop what you're doing. Jesus, yeah, could he, be, he, could he walked away? Could he not have said anything? Yeah, he could have. Would that have helped their relationship? We're going to find out that probably it didn't help. It wouldn't have helped his relationship. 
Jesus needed to bring that to the table. He needed to bring that about. Most relational conflict church is the result of someone not fully realizing how their actions are impacting or affecting other people. Not malicious intent or spite. Right? We don't recognize how our actions are impacting or affecting other people. And just because this exchange wasn't entirely Peter's fault, or maybe because this, this conversation wasn't Peter's issue, right? Many of us are like, that's not my fault. <laughs> what that got to do with me? You're the one going through it, right? Doesn't mean that he didn't have a part to play in it. Jesus was confronting him, critiquing him, asking him to do something differently to help their relationship. And as far as we can tell, Peter listened and went along with it. How many of us would think, well, well, Jesus, if we're honest here, that's, that's your problem, not mine. Right? I didn't do anything wrong. Why should I have to change and be different? Because you are feeling tempted. Sounds like a you problem, not a, a me problem here. Who says that you're right and I'm wrong? Right? These are the conversations that we have. Friends, a lot of relationships end because we choose to go this route. Sounds like it's your fault. Sounds like it's your problem. You deal with it. But Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. Church, when we look for the lesson in everything, we're less likely to be offended by anything. When we're looking to see how this would work for us, how it benefits us, right? We're less likely to be offended by anything. And if this is true, which believe me it is, why? Why are we offended, right? Why do these sorts of exchanges wreck us so much? but only seem to kind of clarify and strengthen Jesus and Peter's relationship. How come it works for them and it, and it doesn't work for us? I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, if, you're, if we were not secure in who we are, even surface criticisms can shake our core identity. If we are not firm and understand who we are and who we were created to be, the slightest of criticism that comes our way will rock our foundation. Like when people say, hey, could you pick up your kids earlier? <laughs> pick up my kids earlier? Like, what, what are you trying to say? Because what you're actually hearing is your kids are acting up. Come get them now. Or you're not a good parent. I don't know what happens in your house, but your kids are acting the fool in my house. Come get them. We don't take into consideration, maybe she had an appointment, maybe she, an emergency came up. But right away, we were like, we start taking that critique and it starts shaking our foundation. We need to be secure in who we are. Or number two, we get angry when people point out what we're afraid we are, but don't want to be. Right? Like when they say, hey, I'd really like to see you get your numbers up. I think it will help the company wide. You hear, man, I'm not a good team player. 
I'm not good at my job, right? I wasn't, I need to, I'm going to get fired. I need to look at Indeed. Somebody's hot leads to hire me, right? Because we got angry because someone pointed out something that we are afraid of that we don't want to be. So it's safe to say, church, the only interactions that, that we interpret as insults are the ones that expose our insecurity. Ones that open up the cover and allows people to get an inside look, an in-depth look of who we really are. And when that happens, we're like, oh, mm-mm, not letting you too close to me. Can't believe you're saying this about me. But instead of examining and addressing our own insecurities, what happens? <laughs> we like doing this. We start playing the blame game. We start blaming other people. We start labeling them as bad, as mean, as insensitive, as toxic, as, as, as uh, hypocritical. And I wonder, church, that if, if you and I were, were, were labeled, if you and I were having this conversation with, with Jesus, and Jesus said what he said to Peter, how would we react? Would we label Jesus as mean, as insensitive, as hypocritical? But here's the thing. We sometimes believe that a good relationship is one where nobody Nobody ever, ever hurts anyone else's feelings and nobody's, nobody ever gets their feelings hurt, right? It's a kumbaya moment. It's a, oh, come hug me. Like literally you and your spouse just walk down the street swinging arms. Like this is so great. We are in love. Like this is great. There's no problems, right? Like you wink and you, you blow her kisses, right? Every day feels like that. Listen, if your relationship is like that, you need to come up here. Let's have a, let's have a group discussion and let's start teaching people how to do that, right? But if we're really real, right? I've been married 27 years. I, I'm as real as it gets. I know, right? As much as I want to hold my wife's hand in a mall, it doesn't always happen, Right? But the reality, there's no way to experience intimacy without exposing our insecurities. You cannot get to the next level in your relationship unless you expose those insecurities that you have. Because when you expose those insecurities, it forces you to begin to address them and not sweep them under the rug and pretend like... They don't exist and pretend like you are the happiest couple on earth, want to be on Dr. Phil, right? And that, my friends, will put a crack in the relationship. And the question now is, what then? What then? Sadly, for a lot of us, for a lot of us, what the next stage of this becomes, I'm done with this relationship. I can't no more. Can't do this. I can't be with you. This is not going to work out. This is, not, this is not what I signed up for. But hear me out, church, when I say that real relationships exist in a constant cycle of rupture and repair. 
That's where real relationships exist, right? There's a constant cycle of rupture and repair. Rupture in the sense meaning a break in connection between people often caused by hurt and anger and pain. And repair in this context uh, as an attempt to reconnect by showing empathy, warmth, acceptance, curiosity, and playfulness. Rupture and repair. So how does this work out in Jesus and Peter's relationship? Leads me to the last scene here. Matthew 17. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus' appearance, and tra- as the men watched Jesus' appearance was transformed, so that his face shone like the uh, shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And at this moment, if you read scripture before, you're like, "OMG." Like this is something out of this world. This is straight up UFO, Star Trek type of thing. Beat me up, Scotty, because like things are happening and I didn't, this never happened before. I've never seen this before. Like Moses actually came down. Like, like this is, like this is real. I'm seeing this with my own eyes. Literally in the very next chapter, right after Jesus tells Peter, like, knock it off. Like, literally, you're getting on my nerves. Like, we need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. Please don't do this around me. Like, this is not the time for it. The rupture part of their relation took place. And right after that, in the very next chapter, Jesus invites Peter as one of only three people to an exclusive supernatural experience reserved only for his closest friends. And there we have the repair. Rupture and the repair. For some of us, this couldn't be more foreign because we grew up in an environment where if you did something someone didn't like, you were cut off. You were banished, right? For long periods of time of people withdrawing all, of, all signs of empathy, all signs of warmth, acceptance, curiosity, playfulness. And when repeated ruptures occur without any repair, friends, walls, walls between people build up over time. Love gets replaced by resentment, causing relationships to erode. And you have people that were once in love, that once cared for each other, are now not even wanting to talk to each other. Let me wrap this up and get you out to pet an animal or a burger, eat a burger. Friends, if this is your experience with your family and rupture feels like the end of a relationship, I'm hoping that you figure out how to bring repair in. Because when you have a healthy cycle of rupture, and then repair, you don't fear conflict. You don't avoid confrontation. You don't live in a constant state of relational anxiety because you understand that in relationships, there's going to be ruptures. 
But you also understand that in relationships, there has to be repair. Repair has to follow the ruptures. And when you have that going on in your relationships, you no longer fear the, the, the fact, oh, I need to address this issue in my relationship because the one I'm talking with understands the value of rupture and repair. And mental health professionals tell us that the sooner that you can initiate a repair after a rupture, the stronger the relationship will be. The sooner that you can begin to apply the repair aspect of the rupture, your relationship will be stronger. It sends the signal that, that I can not be okay with the things that you did, with the things that you said, and still be madly in love with you, still care about you. That I can not agree with you in this situation and still wink at you later, blow kisses to you, hug you, Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, <laughs> that's just psychology mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> I have a daughter, and she's taught me a lot. <laughs> she's entered in this field, and it's not mumbo-jumbo. Want to know why it's not mumbo-jumbo? Because there's a, a piece of Scripture that says the exact same thing. And I hold God's Word to be true. And guess who wrote that piece of scripture? <laughs> Peter. Peter, the one who had this, this issue, who was in this relationship with Jesus. He said in 1 Peter, finally, all of you should be one of mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Woo! That is what God has called you to do and he will grant you his blessing. In other words, don't take it personal. Don't internalize it. Kill him back with kindness. Love on them. <laughs> Sounds to me like Peter is saying, man, don't assume that every rupture is intentional. Don't assume that every rupture is personal. And when you do experience a rupture in your relationship, be quick to repair. <laughs> I wonder where Peter, Peter got that from. He got it from his relationship with Jesus. Jesus taught him that. He modeled that for him. He lived that out with him. So church, if this, what you've learned today, what, if, what God has shared with you today is super foreign to you, if you tend to read into things and take them personally, if you easily get agitated or anxious, if your experiences are a lot of ruptures and very few repairs, how, how do we apply this advice 
that Peter's trying to give us from observing the way Jesus handled relationships. How do we do that? Take notes real quickly, grab a picture of it. When you feel your core relationships being ruptured, acknowledge it. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Don't pretend that it's not real. Don't pretend that the other person's feelings are not what's happening here, right? Acknowledge it. Saying things like, man, this, is li- this likely isn't personal. I bet there's a lot I don't see and understand about this situation. This doesn't have to be the end of us. Let's recognize it. Let's acknowledge it and figure out what to do next. To ask, ask, what can I learn from this? What can I learn about them? What can I learn about me, about life? I'm sure there's a lesson in here somewhere. And lastly, attempt. Right, look for how you can reconnect by showing empathy, warmth, acceptance, curiosity, and playfulness as soon as possible. Don't let it fester. Don't let it build up. Don't let the enemy come in. Don't let the man, the red being with the, the red horns and the pitchfork come in and, and make it bigger than what it really is. Start immediately to repair. Hey, let's talk about it. Hey, let's figure this out, man. I'm sorry I got bent out of shape. I'm sorry I raised my voice. I'm sorry I took it this way, but let's talk about this. Let's figure out how this came about, what was going on. And you do it with love and you do it with kindness and you do it with empathy. Because at the end of the day, that relationship matters to you. The relationship with your spouse is important. The relationship with your children are important. The relationship with your in-laws, with your grandparents, with your siblings, with your co-workers, with the people that you do life on a consistent basis is important. It's too, too important to just leave it at the rupture state. Find a way to repair and stop taking things so personally. Amen?